Folks, if you're liking what you're getting from 30MPC, the number one way you can support us is by subscribing to our newsletter. Every week, you only get two emails. On Monday, you get a content roll-up of everything that dropped last week. And on Fridays, I pick one topic and I personally write a deep dive on things like how to cold call, how to run a discovery call, or even how to hire an AE. So if you're liking what you're getting here, take two seconds, go to the show notes. You'll see a button to subscribe to our newsletter, or you can go to 30mpc.com backslash newsletter and do it there. We'll catch you soon. Cheers. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to this episode of 30 Minutes to President's Club. My name is Armand Farouk. I'm here with my co-host, Nick Sigalski, and today it's Kyle Norton, the SVP of sales over at Owner. Nick, why should people listen? If you're getting smacked in the face with tough objections and trying to handle them with logic, you might want to listen to Kyle. If you want to figure out how to run a disco demo and close in a single 60-minute meeting, you might want to listen to Kyle. If you want affirmation that reactance is indeed a word which you didn't believe for the longest time, Armand, you should listen to Kyle. And a three, a two, a one. Dude, why'd you slap me in the face? The show's pretty good. (laughs) Let's get on with it. Today's tip to optimize your sales day is brought to you by Boomerang. If you get an email and the action required on that email is going to take you less than two minutes to do, do it on the spot. It's not worth adding it to your to-do list, having to look at the item, remember what you need to do. That's going to take you more than two minutes anyway. So do it on the spot, get it off your plate. Now we documented our best templates and tips to help you optimize your sales day with our friends at Boomerang. And you can get that documentation for free at the link in the show notes. Today's show is brought to you by Exactly Forecasting, which is a flexible sales forecasting solution that uses AI and data to help you call an accurate sales forecast. Gartner says over half of sales leaders don't have high confidence in their forecast. One way we recommend to improve your forecast is to align as a team on explicit attributes that must be true in order to deem a deal forecastable. That way your forecast will get clearer and the team will know where to focus efforts. We put together a forecasting 101 guide with our friends at Exactly. Get it for free in the show notes. Otter AI's Otter Pilot for Sales gives you the freedom to sell on your discovery calls by taking notes for you. One of the best ways to deepen your discovery is to ask your prospect about the impetus behind their goals. So when a prospect tells me they want to advertise on more sales podcasts, I'll say, well, it's not every day that you wake up and decide you want to sponsor a podcast. What's causing you to even explore this in the first place? Now, we put together the ultimate discovery checklist with our friends at Otter AI, which you can get for free at the link in the show notes. Today's prospecting tip is brought to you by Super Cadence by Influ2, which helps cut through the noise of oversaturated prospecting channels. If you want to get your prospect's attention, you got to do stuff a robot would never do. One of my favorite plays is getting warm introductions to the accounts that I'm targeting via salespeople who work at that account. Salespeople help salespeople. Another approach could be using Super Cadence to run SDR ads to put a face to the name. Now, we worked with Influ2 to put together a special toolkit on ways to humanize your outreach, which you can get for free at the link in the show notes. All right, Kyle, welcome to the show. We start every single interview with your top three actionable takeaways. So let's get your three. So first off is offers of value. And so this is my appeal to sellers to stop closing the call and start to think about instead offering the customer something to join you in that next step together. That's why I call them offers of value. And so a great example of this is instead of saying, let me set you up with a call with my account executive, they'll show you the platform and all the cool things that we do. That's a me, me, me answer. Instead of great offer of value is, 
well, Nick, I, I know you mentioned you're struggling with this. We have a bunch of customers that have solved that exact thing. And my account executive knows two of them really well and can walk you through sort of where they started, how they thought about solving the problem and the strategy that they used. And then a little sprinkle that I like is, and even if you don't use our product, like you can use a lot of that strategy on your own with your current setup as well. So that's an offer of value. Beautiful. What's number two? Number two is cutting the waste. So when I took over the BDR function at Vision Critical, this was like seven years ago now, one of the first things I did was assess what are the BDRs doing every day? And I analyzed the quality of every contact that we touched, their seniority, the freshness, the function, whether or not the account was in our like direct ICP. And what I found was that 40% or more of my team's time was essentially wasted people that were only okay fits or the wrong target account. And so I would encourage everybody, instead of just pounding through the leads that you've got in front of you, really be disciplined and thoughtful about spending more time up front to put the right people into your cadences or sequences. And that mentality of measure twice, cut once is a lot more fruitful. Because you know, if you're spending 40% of your time on not good leads, you might as well work three days a week. You're wasting two of them. So it's really important that we're, we're super dialed in on the quality of contact that we're touching. Phenomenal. Round us out. What's number three? So number three is around handling knee jerks and how to view an objection different than a knee jerk. And a knee jerk is, I don't know who you are. You're showing up on my cell phone. And so it's just a gut reaction. I don't know you. 99% of the people that I don't know that call me are wastes of my time. So their pattern recognition reaction is like, oh, I'm busy. I'm in a meeting. Can't talk right now. And they have no idea if they should or shouldn't spend the time on that call. And so we don't want to handle a knee jerk, just like a reaction to a cold call, like we would an objection. Oh, you're using another tool. Can I ask you about the tool? What do you like about it? None of that is really fruitful because that prospect is closed off. They are in system one automation thinking. They're just going to keep giving you excuses to get off the phone. So instead, what we want to do to handle those knee jerks is essentially acknowledge what they said, sidestep it and continue with their pitch. So I call Nick. Nick's busy. Oh, I'm, I can't talk right now. Yeah, no problem, Nick. The reason I wanted to give you a call is I actually noticed. And then I just keep going. The reason I wanted to give you a call, and then if you have a good problem-based hypothesis of need, some good research, and you're calling somebody that's well-qualified, you'd be surprised that those will turn into good, high-quality connects. So acknowledge, sidestep, continue. So Kyle, I want to go back to this concept of offers of value. And the reason for it is we talk about something really, really similar when we talk about handling objections, which is don't sell the product, sell the meeting. In other words, sell the thing that even if they don't buy your product, they are going to get out of that meeting. And so could you give an example, maybe pick your most common cold call objection. Maybe it's I'm on a current solution or I'm using your competitor or something like that. What is an offer of value? that I could offer up to a prospect to book an initial discovery call with me, even if I have no intention of switching off this competitor? First off, I want to have a wedge. I want to go into that call knowing something about the prospect that is an area of opportunity for me. It's, it's a weakness. So we sell restaurant marketing software, website, online ordering, app, sort of everything wrapped up to help a restaurant grow. And so essentially, one of my BDRs would get that objection. Oh, we're actually using X. 
Perfect. That's actually why I wanted to call you. Yes, and. That's actually why I wanted to call you. I noticed that you're using Chow now. And something I noticed on your site is that you're taking people off domain to place an order. And I'm not sure if you're familiar, but if you take people from your main domain to another website to place an order, none of that time on site or none of those conversions are going to help you with your search rank. But I don't want to get way ahead of myself. My account executive knows way more about this stuff and has actually worked with a bunch of very similar pizza restaurants. And he can go through a number of the other areas of opportunity. And even if you don't want to use us, you can take a lot of this and do it on your own, to be frank. Does that sound fair? And so the offer of value there is get a bunch of free insight on your on your site that can improve your business. And it's a compelling reason for somebody to show up. Well, what a lot of people fail to recognize is that there's two types of objections you're going to get hit with. Logical and emotional objections. Logical are the ones that you just talked about where they process what you're calling about and they say, well, we're already using something for that. They're logically thinking about what you asked. And in that scenario, you handle that with logic. You know what? Yes, and I noticed this. And you are logically talking through why that's not a real valid objection and they should meet with you anyway because you do have something valuable to offer. Where a lot of sellers get tripped up is when they get hit with an emotional objection, you call them knee-jerk objections, Kyle, they try to handle those with logic. And you cannot fight a reactance, a knee-jerk, an emotional, I'm in a meeting, I'm not interested, with logic. You need to battle that with emotion and get them out of that pattern recognition of you're like every other telemarketer that slaps them with a robo-dial. And so we just talked about a logical objection. I'm using a competitor. Can you talk me through, you pick up the phone, you call Armand, you say, hey, Armand, you start to open. He goes, ah, I'm in a meeting or I'm, I'm not interested. What are you selling? They hit you with something that's clearly emotional. Can you walk me through step-by-step step how I should be responding? For sure. The framework I give to my team is called NASCAR. And so the N is notice. So first, like notice where you are. Okay, is this right at the beginning of the call? Is he saying stuff that like makes any sense? And then the ASC of NASCAR is acknowledge that subcontinue, which we talked about in the actual takeaways. It doesn't matter what you say. I'm in a meeting, send me an email. Yeah, I can definitely do that. The reason I wanted to give you a call, Armand, is, oh, I'm in the car. Yeah, no problem. The reason I want to give you a call is, it's honestly as simple as that. You just need to get the repetitions to say it without missing a beat. And because the buyer is not thinking logically, they're not going to put together, I said I wanted an email and then he kept pitching me because they're not even paying attention. Then if you get a, if you're halfway through that cold call or you've acknowledged that to continued and you're still getting resistance, the A is ask a question. Another way to break somebody out of that pattern, break somebody out of that resistance is I'm in a meeting right now. Yeah, 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 for sure. Curious, Nick, can, let me ask you quickly. I noticed on your site, your current site directs you to DoorDash, where you're, I would assume you're paying a big commission, but you're sending your own traffic there. Like, what, what's the thinking? And so now there's enough intrigue, but I've asked the question, so it forces the buyer to respond. And then the last part of that NASCAR framework, if somebody's like, look, like, man, I just, I don't want to buy something. The R is real talk. Hey, Nick, like, I get it. I'm calling out of nowhere. You have no idea who I am, but let me push you slightly here. I called you specifically because, and then you're just like getting real. I noticed this and this. I know you get a bunch of sales calls, but like I can legitimately help you. 
And it's probably worth 10 minutes of your time and then offer value to set up that next call in terms of them learning something about their current business that's suboptimal. So NASCAR, notice, acknowledge, sidestep, continue, ask a question, real talk. That's the, the system one resistance handling method. Well, what you're doing with that first piece where you're acknowledging it is similar to what Jeb Blunt calls the ledge or what we talk about with the Mr. Miyagi objection handling framework, which is you're not just avoiding it completely. You're not just like, well, why don't you buy my thing anyway? Or, oh, do you want to meet anyway? Or can I get 27 seconds? Yada, 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 right? You have to acknowledge the objection so you can create an inch of space between you and the prospect. And with that inch of space, you can then ask a thoughtful question that points out the fact that you might know something about their business that they want to learn more about. So I was actually funny enough helping my mom with this the other day. So my mom works in like the natural skincare and organic industry. And there are all these issues with people who have all these issues with how you can describe natural products versus what is organic versus what is natural. And her outbound process is very similar to yours, which is she can point out places on your website that have things that are out of compliance. And so what she does is she gets the same types of things. If she were to say something like, oh, we do natural FDA, yada, yada, consulting, you'd get a ton of not interested, right? But if you just handle the not interested by saying, hey, I totally get it. I should have assumed that you had most of the stuff taken care of. Stop the objection, create an inch of space, and then ask one question. That's like, hey, I noticed on your page, you might want to take a look at this. One of your labels has these terms. And the FDA said on XYZ date that you're not supposed to have that there. And I was calling you because I caught a couple different things and I, I thought I might be able to help you out, even if you don't end up working with me. That's something that immediately someone can start to work with you of. So figure out what you can use to sell your meeting, not your product. Don't sell your product. Sell them what you are going to teach them out of that discovery call. Well, what's powerful about the offer of value is it doesn't have to be isolated to a cold call. What we advocate for is any time that you're asking another human being, aka your prospect, to take an action, you should be framing it from the perspective of why it is in their best interest to take that action. So whether it's booking a meeting on a cold call or I'm trying to get Armand to go to my favorite sushi joint for lunch, I should be explaining why it's in his best interest to eat sushi and not an in-and-out cheeseburger. So let's transition now to we've booked that meeting with a cold call. We're going on to the discovery call. Talk to me about what happens on that discovery call that I booked via my offer of value. So I think the, the most important principle here for me is this idea of staggered discovery. So I'm going to ask literally the bare minimum of questions I, I can up front before I start talking about how we solve problems or similar customers. And I want to create this back and forth flow. It just needs a little bit of pre-planning. The first couple of questions are basically, tell me about your restaurant, especially in our market. There's such a personal attachment to it. These are chefs before they're business people. So just getting a prospect talking, comfortable asking questions and, and building some rapport momentum is important. And then we'll ask a little bit of their current situation. We should know most of it. And then everything about marketing strategy, how do you keep in touch with your current customers, all that is later. So I'm acting out of curiosity. So Nick, like I noticed your order now button goes to DoorDash. And so you know, like they're going to be on DoorDash and now getting other restaurants advertised to them. 
So there must be a reason, like what, what's the thinking there right now? And it's, it's curious enough where they're going to be like, yeah, I, I know it's wrong, but I had a guy build a website and then it sucked and this was just easy. And, and it's just like, it's brutal. Like, I know that that's the answer I'm going to get. Be like, okay. And then it's empathy. So make them feel seen and make sure that they understand that there's people like most people are like that. Be like, okay, not surprised, Nick. All I do is talk to restaurant owners all day, every day. And this is what I hear on way too many calls because owning a restaurant is brutally hard. You have to be a chef and deliver a great guest experience. And now all of a sudden you're being asked to be some digital marketer. And so it's unfair that you're competing up against these companies with billions of dollars in software. And that's where we help because I, I know what you mean. We hear this all the time. That's sort of our transition through a light question to, to dig at like, oh, like why, why are you doing it this way? To make them feel seen and be like, that's why we're here. Right. And so you're basically using those early questions of upfront, not heavy questions to start to get a lay of the land. And then you're sort of poking them with these questions that are targeted, that are issues that you know their business is probably having, whether it's something with their website or something else related to DoorDash or what have you. Right. And then as you get those things, you're depositing value and you're basically explaining some of the ways you can help solve for those many issues that you've been able to find. So you do this two, three times, you do this two, three times, you probably get to a number of aha moments if it goes well. And they're like, okay, Kyle, this is interesting. How do you run the next steps portion of the discovery call? So one is this concept called off-ramping. And off-ramping is giving the buyer an out. And this comes back to the principle of like psychological reactance. When you push somebody into something, our reaction is to resist. Like humans' need for self-determination is like one of our strongest needs. And so the more and more we push, the more and more people resist, whether or not they like want that thing or not. And so an off-ramp gives them an option. And so what I'm going to say at that point is like, look, Armand, like, so we've spent an hour and a half together. I think you have a pretty good idea of what we do and where the value might be fit, but you probably have a bunch of other stuff going on. So I'm wondering, you know, where does this rank into your set of priorities? Because the next step, you got to do work. I got to do work. We need like four or five people in a meeting, in a 90 minute meeting from your side. I'm going to bring in my benefits consulting team. So if there's a time to like, say the timing's not right, like now is it. And so what I'm doing there is, is framing the next step in as compelling of a manner as I can, while also giving them an out so they feel like they have choice. I'll tell you that the two most common areas that this happens in a sales cycle, if you're listening to this, it is number one, if you are setting up a demo as a next step. And then number two, if you're sending a proposal as a next step. The reason that these are the deadly sins of next steps is everyone loves to window shop. Being on a demo and multitasking on Slack takes zero effort. They can look over every once in a while. They don't really have to pay attention. You ask them any questions, they say no questions, right? And that's it. And they get to window shop and look at a software without bringing in any of their team. And the other is a proposal is, I want to know how much it costs. I want to know how much the Tesla costs. Will you tell me how much it costs? Great. Send me a proposal. Send me a deck. I might share it internally. I might not. And anytime I'm giving you something 
that is light in weight, I'm going to ask you to put some weight behind it as a prospect. So if I'm going to give you a demo, I'm going to ask you to show up with your technical team or I'm going to ask you to show up with your boss. Or if I'm going to give you a proposal, I'm going to ask you in return to bring your CFO onto the call. Or if the proposal works, that we agree to bring it to procurement, right? And so one of the best sellers that I ever met in my life is I was giving away too many next steps for free. And he's like, what are you doing? And I was like, I'm trying to make it easy on them and give them the information they need. He's like, no, 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 you're wrong. He's like, you need to make them work to buy your software. And that has permanently been ingrained in my head is people need to earn a next step with you just as much as you need to earn a next step with them. So a bad version of that is like, and so doing a demo is very cumbersome on our side. And so if, if I'm willing to do this, can you commit to bringing XYZ? It's like, again, this feels there's pressure on me. And so my reactance is to step away instead of saying, so Armand, would make sense to do a demo next. Typically at this point, so I'm, I'm using social proof. Typically at this point, you would bring together a couple people that are going to need to be in the process at some point, or else you're just sort of wasting your time. It would be this person, this person, this person. And this is the off-ramping. You know, you know enough about the product and the problem we solve. Is that compelling enough to bring together that group? Or is like now the right time to maybe just like park it? And so that would be my like not so cringe version of it. That is same side of the table. It's inviting. It's mutual problem solving. And so I think what you call out is super important and just Doing it with finesse, I think, is what people get wrong so much. They smash the give and get, and it feels very forced. You had a really nice line around, hey, this timing is going to be a little bit off. Time to say that. Now is the time. You said it much more eloquently than me, but I really liked that. I want to ask you about this one call sort of discovery demo and then close that you're having with these restaurant owners because we haven't talked to somebody who does things that way. Can you talk to me about the last, I don't know, 20 minutes of that meeting where it's like, you're ready to buy? What does that look like? So we're going through the demo. We're taking our notes. We're showing them clear evidence of where we're going to be able to do things better. And most of the time, that's pretty evident because we have so many customers that have like amazing results that we can find somebody that comes from a similar position, similar cuisine type and be like, here's somebody that looks exactly like you that's doing way more volume and has way better metrics across the board. So like really reinforcing the concreteness of the proof. And then we get into pricing. We are the most expensive product in our category. And so value stacking is how we end the call. So the cost is 500 bucks a month. There's no hidden costs. That's the thing that we don't do that our competitors do. So, so I know the pricing advantage for us versus just straight up being more expensive. We don't lock people into contracts. Most of our competitors really frustrate people with their long-term contracts. And then it's a very assumptive close. So I'm creating a lot of deal momentum with my summary, evidence, value stacking, all the way into, I basically explain onboarding. So all there is from this point is between you and I, it's a quick online registration. I set up your account. I get you all locked in and we'll walk through a quick onboarding form. And so the key here is I'm not painting a picture to signature. I'm not painting a picture to credit card. I'm painting a picture all the way through to value. That's what the customer cares about. So the end of our call is from 
the onboarding, how easy and how we're going to do it, how fast it is, especially in comparison to most of our competitors, and then painting the picture all the way through to, and within 30 days, you're going to see most of these key metrics we've discussed on the rise. And so what I've done is painted a path all the way from closed onboarding to this nirvana state in the not too distant future. And then I just go for the credit card. So all there is to do basically now is like, we'll, we'll walk through that registration process. And then I pull up the page and go for it. You don't need to ask the question, like, are you ready to buy? If it's just like an obvious fit and such a good slam dunk, just go for it. And they'll tell you no, if it's a no, no problem. Beautiful. Well, now we got to move to the nirvana state of the final question, Kyle, because we're running out of time. And the final question is this. We've talked about a lot of really great things salespeople should be doing. I'm going to ask you now about a shouldn't. And so the last question is, what's one bad habit that you see a lot of salespeople exhibiting you think they need to break because it hurts them more than it helps? So we've touched on this a bunch as a theme, but it's pushing when they should be pulling. And so our training, our DNA, and sort of the culture, and, and especially the older culture of sales is like, push, push, push. It's like, go for the close five times, like slam that next step down their throat, blow up their phone. And what we don't realize is that that constant pushing, that constant shoving somebody through a buying journey uh, is the thing that causes our deals to go the worst. Because one of our most deep-seated desires as, as a human is for self-determination and for freedom of choice. And so every time that we push and we force something on somebody that they don't really want, you're going to get fake yeses. Like, okay, so let's do this. Let's set up a demo and blah, 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 blah. Like, okay, yeah, cool. Like, yeah, that time works. And then it's canceled or ghosted like because I haven't given them the chance to say yes or no and let them opt into it. This is a good framework to use. So this is what I use with my kids because I think it brings it all home, especially if you're a parent. So when you want your kids to get out of the house, it's time to leave. It's like, okay, time to put on your coat. The decision framework there is put on your coat or don't put on your coat. And they're always going to choose no because you want them to do yes. You're pushing them to yes. And that's what kids are just doing what normal humans do, but more obviously. And so instead of saying put on your coat, yes, no, coat, no coat, the question is, do you want to wear your red coat or your blue coat? It's a technique called red coat, blue coat. And so it's like, okay, Charlie, time to go. Do you want to wear your red coat or your blue coat? And so I'm giving you power of choice, but I'm architecting that decision framework where we're still going where I need to go. And so everywhere possible, you want to give your buyer choice to determine what they do next, as opposed to like shoving them down the next thing. And you'll probably get more no's earlier in your process than you do today, but those are no's that you were going to get later anyways. That was a dead deal, whether or not you knew it. But this process will get those no's out earlier and get your yeses moving faster because they get to choose. Phenomenal. You use red coat, blue coat on your kids. Armand, I'm going to use it on you. Everybody stick around for a 60 second recap coming up soon. Here's my secret to being a sales superhuman. It's auto reminders for everything. If I expect any reply from a prospect, I press command H and superhuman pops it right back into my inbox. If I don't get a reply in two days, that means if you handle an objection, if you suggest times for a meeting, or if you ask for cuts back on red lines, always create a two day reminder task and assume they will not reply. So if you want to follow up on time, every time you can get a free month of superhuman by checking it out in the show notes, your zoom info, actionable insight tactic is called Jane's moving up. 
Why? Because that's the email subject line you'll use when you get a real-time notice that your prospect Jane just got promoted. From there in the email, explain how ZoomInfo helps rising sales leaders win their first 90 days on the job by highlighting coaching opportunities or supporting a team-wide prospecting push. And you can try out this trigger-based email template for prospect promotion and four other scenarios inspired by ZoomInfo's go-to-market plays. Link in the show notes. Today's prospecting tip is brought to you by Woodpecker. When you're sending a sales email, you generally want to avoid putting punctuation in the subject line. If you've got an exclamation point, it makes it seem like you're shouting at them. Look at this amazing offer. And a question mark just smells salesy. So avoid punctuation. Now, if you want to steal my full sales cadence from my friends at Woodpecker, there's a link in the show notes for you to go get it and try it for free. Today's tactic to triple your connect rate is brought to you by RocketReach, who provides data that lets you reach out to the right person at the right account at the right time. Every time you're reaching out to an account, pull down the contacts again. Yes, I know it sucks, but the average tech tenure is two years, which means 50% of the workforce turns over every year. So look up the account, pull anyone who was hired, and scratch anyone who was left. And one way you can pull verified and accurate data is with Rocket Reach. So if you like this, check out their toolkit on eight ways to triple your cold call connects in the show notes. Your top four takeaways from this episode with Kyle Norton include number one, offers of value. Use offers of value instead of asking them to take meetings with you. Frame your asks in terms of what they will get out of the meeting, even if they don't buy. Number two, an example that we discussed of an offer of value is if someone's on a competitor and they have no intention of switching, you can at least illuminate some of the gaps with those competitors. Number three, in line with the previous tip, you should politely illuminate things that might be a little bit off with a prospect's world, such as the example that Kyle gave, which is finding something that was off with their website due to a vendor they were using. And lastly, number four, off-ramping. Before you just go and set a next step, make a prospect aware that they must invest more of their resources and time to take that next step. The language that Kyle used was, ask them, where does this rank in your priorities? The reason that I ask is you have to do X, Y, and Z if we're going into a demo. Alrighty, Nick, how can people help us out here? Well, normally this is where I beg, grovel, and plead for you to connect with us on LinkedIn, but I'm going to try an offer of value instead. If you connect with Nick and Armand on LinkedIn, you know, we actually post some of the best things that we learn from this podcast as short text posts of, oh, here's how to do exactly A, B, and C, or this was my biggest takeaway from this episode, and here's how I'm using it to sell. And so if you want to see more behind the scenes of stuff Armand and I are learning from these wonderful episodes, you might want to go send us a connection request on LinkedIn. Thanks for listening. We'll see you all next week. show is brought to you by Exactly Forecasting, which is a flexible sales forecasting solution that uses AI and data to help you call an accurate sales forecast. Gartner says over half of sales leaders don't have high confidence in their forecast. One way we recommend to improve your forecast is to align as a team on explicit attributes that must be true in order to deem a deal forecastable. That way your forecast will get clearer and the team will know where to focus efforts. We put together a forecasting 101 guide with our friends at Exactly. Get it for free in the show notes. Today's prospecting tip is brought to you by Super Cadence by Influ2, which helps cut through the noise of oversaturated prospecting channels. And if you want to get your prospect's attention, 
mention, you gotta do stuff a robot would never do. One of my favorite plays is getting warm introductions to the accounts that I'm targeting via salespeople who work at that account. Salespeople help salespeople. Another approach could be using Super Cadence to run SDR ads to put a face to the name. Now, we worked with Influ2 to put together a special toolkit on ways to humanize your outreach, which you can get for free at the link in the show notes.